Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi. Welcome to Remote Control, the Varieties TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On this week's episode, we're talking about Season 3 of American Crime with series creator John Ridley, as well as stars Felicity Huffman and Regina King. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, Variety's Executive of TV, and it's my pleasure to welcome John Ridley. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very good. Thank you very much. So let's talk about Season 3 of American Crime. Yeah. Um, season three of American Crime, I'll say first and foremost, it's almost stunning to be back for a third season. When we did it, it felt like um, something that was very special and unique, but maybe it, it couldn't survive. Um, and to have the opportunity to, to come back for a third season, to work again with our actors, our crew, um, the writer's room, uh, in service of stories that I don't think are being told in other places, is very special. Um, this third season... We wanted to, obviously, because crime is part of the title, look at a crime, but also examine um, a particular effects on communities and individuals. And if that first season uh, where we dealt with murder, which I open believe most people will never experience, sexual assault in the second season, which unfortunately um, so many people are visited with but are underreported and under-adjudicated, um, was there a set of circumstances or notionally a crime um, where the complicity felt fell a little bit more broadly, where individuals, and I'll use myself as an example, can be involved in something um, and in some ways know about it and be aware of it? And what are the choices that I would make? or What are the things that I would do? Or what ways do I make bargains with myself? Um, that's what we wanted to explore was in this season, um, not just how does it affect us, but how do we affect other people? Um, how do those of us who benefit from a system, uh, what does that cost to other individuals for the lifestyle that someone like myself would live? So how do you take those really big issues and make them personal? How do you bring them down to things that we can all identify with? Very good question. I hope that we do it by making it um, about individuals, about families, about connectivity. One of the um, underlying um, issues, perspectives that we're dealing with this year, reproductive rights, um, families, um, families having, not having, trying to have children, and how that affects their perspectives. You know, I, I know when I had kids, and as my kids have grown and continue to grow, my perspective on so many different, uh, so many things changes. And there are these amorphous or seemingly abstract ideas about crime or infrastructure or human trafficking, and I don't do that. But um, when it affects, in particular, young people, 
and how they live their lives or choices that they make. And I can see in them perhaps my own kids or the choices that I make. I think it goes from being abstract to very, very concrete. And that's what audiences, and certainly uh, for people who've had the opportunity early on to see uh, some of the first episodes, um, have really commented on. is like, oh, I don't, you know... This is how how is this going to affect me? How is it going to affect me? It's not about how it affects me; it's how it affects those other people, and that could be one son or daughter or intimate other. What's interesting too is we were—I know we just came out of the panel where we were talking about mm-hmm. one of the issues that comes up is immigration. But you wrote this before the election. Yeah. I love the idea that you were saying it didn't matter to you who was in the Oval Office. Yeah, and that's unfortunately true. And, you know, with I, I believe we sometimes get into a space where these elections that we go through, they are whipsawing. And, you know, ultimately, we only have two parties and two perspectives. And you can go back in modern history, and uh, almost every president has been an antidote for the last president. Um, and the reality is that uh, it seems like we are going through so much, but we have been through moments like this, and yet immigration is still an issue. Race is still an issue. Uh, orientation is still an issue, and those are things that should not still be issues. I do believe that ultimately we are progressive people. We are a progressive nation. I would not be sitting here speaking to you in this manner if we were not progressive. Um, but I do believe, irrespective of how people voted or how they may vote in the next election, there are issues that if we just turn them into slogans uh, or continue to use them as slogans, that's very different than a solution. Um, and uh, however that election would have uh, turned out this past election, uh, this show would have been the same. Um, I hope that four years from now, eight years from now, however many years from now, we can look back on this show and go, oh, hey, do you remember when that was an area of a consternation? It's not so much anymore. And we do look at some programming or some issues, and they have changed. Marriage equality is um, not the same way that it was in 2004, and that's, I believe, a great thing. And I think that is largely, um, certainly because of so many people who have fought for marriage equality, but also how we use it in the culture, how we represent that in the culture, and the fact that we remind people um, that things that did feel outside of the prevailing culture, they are normal, and we need to treat them as normal. So what's the goal that you're trying to accomplish? Are you trying to offer solutions, or are you just trying to drive the conversation? Uh, Absolutely not trying to offer solutions. Um, There are people far smarter, more engaged, um, more diligent in terms of dealing with these things that don't have the answer. So the last thing I want to do is is um, take this real estate that we've been given and try to go into people's homes and wag my finger and say, well, here's the answer. Um, if we can, even less about driving conversation, if we can, um, you know, Roger Ebert said that uh, entertainment is a, it's an empathy machine. You know, we're building an apparatus to make people feel something. And if people, um, if they walk away and they feel something for people that they um, did not know, uh, if they walk away just angry, oh, my God, do you, do you believe what they were talking about, American crime, how dare they? Um, if they are feeling something, then that's the only expectation that I can have. Um, I, I don't want to presuppose what an audience will feel. Um, I think that's, um, at least for us in this space, that's an incorrect way of going about our storytelling. Um, but I do want to represent perspectives, communities. I want to be able to look at the show and know that we did everything we could to represent a multitude as as opposed to being singular. What does it mean to you to have this platform on broadcast TV to be able to tell these kinds of challenging stories? 
It, it means the world to me. It really, really does. And there are moments when you're in the middle of it. Uh, I think like any job or any profession where it gets a little exhausting or tiring or, you know, does it matter what we do or do I need to do this anymore or um, how people respond? I I've like to think I've gotten to a point in my life where um, daily responses or weekly responses don't quite matter anymore. But um, there's so much information that's being thrown around. You can't help things can't help but flow back to you in some regard. And you have moments, you know, does it does it matter what, what we do? There's so much out there and so much of it is so very good. Uh, but then you step away and you realize within the broadcast space or the streaming space or the uh, cable space, um, this show is unique. And it's not just unique for the stories that we tell and we put in front of people. One of the things that Michael McDonald our other executive producer that we're very proud of is things that people don't see. Um, the directors that we have, the representation with those directors, our writer's room, our executive ranks, our other producers, our post-production staff. Um, I believe that this show is as representative of any show that's out there. And I think because I've been a writer for a long time, I think because, you know, as a director, I've, I've had the opportunity to work with the best of the best, that I'm always a little cautious in terms of what I put out there and is it good enough? Did I try hard enough? Could I have written a little bit more? Could I have challenged myself more? But one of the things that Michael and I are not at all shy about and that we're very clear-minded about is how we've represented in these other spaces. Um, you know, we've, we've gotten to a point where there's no excuse for um, these spaces not being inclusive and representative. I have no expectation that every show is ever going to be a one-to-one ratio. Um, I know that there are we can do a better job in terms of representation, but if there's a reason that I really want to come back and do this show, um, certainly for what we can put in front of people, but I think the infrastructure we're building, because long after I'm gone, a lot of these individuals are still going to be working, and also very important because there are so many individuals who've been doing this for a long time, who have knowledge, wisdom, and a skill set that I feel like I'm continuing to learn from. Uh, you know, that's why I come back to this show. Um, it is, um, there is an imperative in that regard. One of the things I love about this, too, is this ensemble, this troupe of actors that you've built that you keep bringing back. Talk about the experience of working with these fantastic group of actors. It's a little, it's, it's daunting. It really is, because I, I will say that many of these actors, Felicity, Regina, Lily, Tim, um, they all chose to work on this show before whatever new, different sense or perspective about me or my work um, was felt in, in, in the wider community. So every time I, I, I look at them and see them, you know, I'm not just seeing some of the best of the best, Emmy winners, Emmy nominees, Oscar winners, Oscar nominees, Tony winners. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm around not only people who have distinguished themselves, but at the same time looked at the work and the words on the page and say, yeah, I don't know who you are, but this has value. And then to be able to come back, you know, in the first season, a lot of things were fairly fully formed when they were presented to the actors. But now there's a real partnership. And, okay, what did we do last year? How can we do it differently? Um, what do you feel like? Not just in terms of the words on the page, but um, your hair color, your eyes, putting on weight, losing weight, an accent. You know, Lily speaking, you know, have one character she interacts with solely in French this year. And Lily is not a French speaker. Um, that's the kind of level of commitment that the actors have. And I could not, it, it could not be more pleased. Um, I, I could not be more appreciative 
um, and could not be more excited for the opportunity if we have it to, to do again. What are we going to do differently? How are we going to change what we've presented to other people? And I, I cannot speak for the actors, but I hope and believe it's a real opportunity for them. And then you've also introduced some fantastic new cast members to this ensemble, like Cherry Jones, yeah. Dallas Roberts. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, to work with Cherry, Dallas, um, uh, to also, uh, we have Connor back this year, Anna, uh, uh, Michaela, um, it, 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 to do a real ensemble show. And to have a wide group of individuals, um, and I'm talking, when I say wide, young, old, some have been acting their entire lives, some, like with Richard, who uh, was a dream, but a dream that, um, you know, acting, performing, sometimes it is a dream of privilege. You know, sometimes it is a dream because you have an infrastructure that allows you to do it. You know, for Richard and his background, and this year, a young man, Clayton, who's also on board, who was also incarcerated and paid his debt to society and had an opportunity to um, not just act as an actor, but to hopefully inspire other people to know that your circumstances do not define you. And if you are ready to put your past behind you and admit to your mistakes and want to go out and serve your community and inspire other people, you know, that's what we're all about. So it's been a blessing to work not only with people who are um, so attuned to what performing is all about, but people who want to do more and people want to represent and people aren't worried about, you know, is this going to be my first job, my last job? Can we do what we can to make this the best environment for performing for the arts and crafts services um, all the way around? They've done an amazing job with that. From what I've seen from the first two episodes, it feels like everyone's on, let's say, parallel storylines, but I trust that these paths are all going to intersect at some point. In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. You know, I don't want to give too much away, but I had two actors who said to me, now in the third season, John, are you going to write a scene for us at some <laughs> point? And it is interesting because there are moments where things feel emotionally connected, but they're amazingly disconnected. There are moments where with some of the characters, you would think that they would never quite cross paths, and in some ways they do. Um, you know, I don't want to say too much. There is something that happens at some point that I think really demonstrates how we are connected with people that we may not know and may not see. But that, to me, is also part of the charm of American crime, and, and to ABC's credit, they don't look at the scripts that come in and go, oh, you got to get Regina and Tim in a scene. Wait, Lily and Felicity have got to be somewhere. They really understand that part of what we're trying to present is the fact that we may not run into individuals on a daily basis, or sometimes we may cross paths with individuals and not necessarily feel connected, but we are very much connected. You're not afraid to challenge your audiences that there are entire scenes that have, you know, are in Spanish with no subtitles. Yeah, yeah I, I, I got to say, I, not only am I not afraid to challenge our audience, but our audience, and we certainly at this point have an audience, has demonstrated that they are not afraid to be challenged themselves and have an expectation of wanting more in story, wanting more in character, wanting more in the way that um, it's presented just in terms of the cinematography, in terms of the production design. Um, you know, people say, you know, it was very interesting in the first iteration of the show. They said, you know, this is, this is an interesting show, but it just can't last on broadcast television. And to be honest, you know, once you get into your third season, you really do start to think about, well, how many more do we really have? How much more can we really do? But um, there is an audience that is out there. Um, it is a very unique audience. It is a very special audience. And every show at this point can say that. And we're thankful that they're there, and we're thankful that they've been there. And if we have the opportunity to engage them again, we hope that we can challenge them in certain ways that um, are unique to our circumstances and unique to the broadcast space. 
I love what you said on the panel. It's not, it, it began as an experiment and it's become an imperative. Absolutely. I mean, part of going into it, um, there was a very liberating feeling um, with ABC, with the studio and the network. Um, there's so many times, you know, of my career, people said, you know, um, you know, do it. We want you to be edgy. We want you to try this. We want you to do something that's different. And um, oftentimes, people have had to turn around from that and then say, you know, that's what we wanted, but the reality is this is what we need. And I think with American Crime and ABC, um, it wasn't so much about their needs as a company, but really what they felt the audience needed a show that was observant and patient and not preachy um, and didn't necessarily follow a particular franchise or had easy solutions and sometimes has no solutions at all, but is really about inhabiting a space and doing it with quality and intelligence and maturity and a respect for the audience. Um, I, 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 you know, I went at it, and I will be honest with you, I, I did not think the show would ever get on the air. I thought if we got on the air, we would get canceled. Uh, I didn't think that we'd get a second season or a third season, and I have absolutely no expectations that we should have a fourth season. But I will say that in some ways, that's not necessarily a bad thing to say that we're going to put everything that we have into every moment, every page of the script, every turn of the camera, um, every episode. And if this is all we do, um, does it have merit? Are we proud of it? Um, if we only reach, you know, 100,000 people, you know, 10,000 people, the definition of what a hit show is has changed so radically. Um, I don't know what it is anymore. I just know whatever it is, uh, it has been enough for ABC. What have you learned from doing the past two seasons that informed how you created this third season? Uh, the thing that I've learned is uh, how much I don't know, uh, how much I don't know about the communities around myself, uh, about different environments, about what other people are going through. Um, there was a moment with this season um, where we were talking about individuals who are undocumented in this country and how they are exploited. And um, we were listening to people and their, uh, their stories and their circumstances where um, sometimes workers are charged $5 to be hosed down and you don't call that a shower. Uh, and I was sitting in the writer's room and I said, you know, oh my God, how can this happen? And how, you know, how, how, how do they allow this to happen to themselves? And, um, or how do we allow it to happen to other people at the same time? And somebody said, but you have to understand sometimes environments people are coming from, you know, pay $5 for fresh running water that is close by. It's not that extraordinary, you know? And I'm constantly reminded of my own ignorance. Um, I like to think I'm well-read. I think I think I'm well-bred. I like to think that I'm progressive. I like to think that I'm open-minded. But I'm continually reminded of things that are outside of my my own personal um, experiences um, and that the most important thing I can do as a showrunner is just listen. You know, start it out by taking a listening tour, by meeting people who've been through these circumstances, work in these spaces. That's their absolute everyday life is dealing with it because it's put upon them or dealing with it because they're trying to extricate people from whatever circumstance that is. So the one thing that I've learned, the most important thing I've learned is going into every season, don't feel like you know something. Don't feel like you're going to present answers. Don't feel like you have something to say to an audience. 
the only thing that we have to do is provide a space for other people to express themselves. We certainly did uh, as much of that as we could in the second season when dealing with sexual assault or orientation or uh, young people have to come out um, and be who they are, be the people who they want to be. And we've certainly tried to do that as much as possible in this third season as well. Was there a moment or something from this season that impacted you or you know, that affected you more than anything else? I got to say there were – it was – very interesting for me because um, I certainly was in the writer's room and kicked it off with the um, first bunch of episodes, but I was not on set as much as I was in the first two seasons. And so I was watching a lot more of the film come in. Um, it's not film anymore, but I like to call it film coming in because a lot of times you're on set all day, every day, and you're there and you're witnessing it. Um so to be removed and to see um, the level of detail that everybody uh, in the crew and the cast goes to to represent circumstances. And in the first uh, grouping of episodes, we're on uh, uh, tomato farms uh, in North Carolina. And um, to create that space and that environment in terms of how people live and in terms of how they work in terms of tomatoes you know a lot of people don't know that most of these tomatoes when they're picked they're green they're not red you know they're taken off they're gassed they're made red they're brought back in this pretty shape that we've become accustomed to um but to represent that so that when audience looks at it they feel like they're there they feel like they're um, with these individuals in these circumstances that was one of the most remarkable things to me because it's the big moments that everyone that we really plan for and that we really Manage, and we really discuss the emotionality and the emotional mapping and all these things that um, having worked with some of the, the, the best directors and showrunners and writers and artisans that you really plan for, but it's these little moments that you don't really plan for, but that our cast and crew has become very accustomed to trying to capture and recognize and put on film and bring back yet again. Those are the things that were really surprising to me when you see everything that was shot and you realize there's so much of it there. Um, that unfortunately we can't get into the show on a weekly basis, but has merit, has value. Um, that was very surprising to me. Well, that's what the show it was so good at capturing. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much, John, as always. Well, thank you as always. And just again, um, you've been an amazing supporter. And I, I have to say that um, one of the reasons that we've been here for three seasons now is just um, the very, it goes beyond support at some point and people saying that this show, it should be here and it should occupy that space. Um, it's very special and that's not lost on me. It's not lost on anybody involved in the show. So thank you to you and so many people in your ranks who have just been um, really supportive of what we tried to do. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And best of luck. Thank Thanks. you. So that was John Ridley talking about this incredibly compelling new season of American Crime. Up next, I chatted with the stars of this season, Felicity Huffman and Regina King, who return in very different roles than they've played in the past. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, Variety's Executive Editor of TV, and it's my pleasure to welcome Regina King and Felicity Huffman. Hi, guys. Hi, Deborah. Hi. We're, I'm very excited to talk about Season 3 of American Crime. Thanks so much for joining me. 
We're so happy to be here. I speak for Regina, and I will continue to speak for Regina. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you can each speak for each other. Right. So I've seen the first two episodes, which look fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about your characters so everyone understands what we're talking about. Felicity, why don't you start? Where do we find your character at the start of season three? Um, my character's name is Jeanette Hesby. She has married into a family that has about five farms in the area. And she, I think, got married pretty much straight out of high school. She's been a very good wife. Um, and as it turns out, she finds out that there's some, you know, immigration and forced labor issues going on within the farm, which is actually the only way that they can stay afloat. Not that it excuses it, but, you know, like all John Ridley's stories, nobody's a hero, nobody's a villain. Um, but she starts to see the underside of the family's business, and it makes her want to reach out and help and have some autonomy, and she realizes she can't really exist in the world without the support of her family. She's as, she's as um, helpless in a funny way as the immigrants. And Regina, tell us about Kamara. I play Kamara Walters, who is a single woman, that is a social worker. She's um, most of uh, <clears throat> the work that she does is dealing with underage and uh, kids that are in the 18-year-old range um, that are victims of sexual trafficking. And um, she's trying to fight for them, trying to um, give them a voice, a space in the world where they're not being taken advantage of and with within that she's trying to start a family of her own and um none of it is easy none of it is easy one of the things i love about the season is how you change your appearance not so much that it's so much about looks but it's a very different way so that the audiences can find the characters looking different felissa you've got a very different appearance this season yeah i do um I think it's helpful not just in terms of acting, but for the audience to shed the previous season so you don't sort of think, oh, there's Barb Hanlon as a high school principal or or there's Leslie Graham as a wife of a of a you know, a rich family. Um but yeah, it's it's fun. It's um I tried to give give each character a different silhouette. Um Barb Hanlon the first season was very straight. Um, very square. She flew under the radar. She didn't want to be noticed. I tried to give Leslie Graham, um, thanks to Spanx and some corsets, um, mm-hmm. I tried to give her a pleasing silhouette and um, someone that would be attractive to people. And um, this season, um, John asked me if I could gain 25 pounds. And I said, I think I'd, I don't have time and I'd shoot myself in the head. So I gained 10 pounds, which was oddly hard to do. And then um, I had a, a Patia Prouty uh, built this wonderful kind of heavy suit that I wore. And so um, that's my daughter. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had a different silhouette. She was, um, you know, probably about 30 pounds heavier than I am now. It's awesome. It's so awesome to see. And I just could not help but just touch her and rub on her whenever, I, whenever we, are, uh, we cross paths on set because um, it just feels so 
which is so yummy. <laughs> <laughs> she was yummy. She was yummy. Everybody was like patting my boobs yeah. and patting my ass. Yeah. yeah. She got a lot of love. I did. Yeah. yeah. And how is Regina? How is Kamara's look different from your previous um, characters? I just she she's just not as striking. I feel as Terry or Aaliyah. I'm think or as Regina. No, uh, oh. <laughs> it's gonna be a mutual admiration society today. I love it. Um, she, I think um, for not to pull off of what Felicity said, but I feel like Kamara is more like Barb um, mm-hmm. in season one where she goes under the radar so um it's just so simple clearly this woman does not get her hair done regularly i mean just no frills at all um i um she's frill free i guess that's the most simple way to put it i kind of felt like as i was trying to come up with how do i make her different the more um, I thought about changing hair color or changing this, um, felt like I was going back to having the frills. Um, Also kind of um, taking a page out of Felicity's book with um, darkening, you know, my eyes. Uh, One of the things John said is that your eyes are so striking. Like that's Mm -hmm. what people... um, go to so um i think the first time i saw felicity season one after she had taken the contacts out i totally forgot she had blue eyes Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like you were barb i mean i never looked at you and thought um her eyes are brown i never thought that i just you were just barb yeah um so i figured well let me try that out and I did, and I actually went to your doctor, your, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know that I, 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 for me, if every time I put those on in the morning, I felt like, uh, it did change. And I also, when Felicity was talking about silhouette, um, my body language, you know, I slouched more. And, and just just different things. Um, I don't want to give them all away because then people might be looking for them. <laughs> but just, I, I think I leaned more towards the simplicity and different body language that, that seemed um, like a person that falls in the back, that doesn't lead with their visuals or that she doesn't have that personality that just takes up the room where I think the last two characters, those women just, they just took up the room when they came in. Yeah. When I would see you in the morning and then she would sort of transform. It was like you were cloaked. You'd put in the contact lenses and you'd put on the wardrobe and it was like a cloak. Yeah. So interesting. You, you disappeared. You, you became smaller. By the way, that means so much coming from Felicity Huffman, ladies and gentlemen. No, seriously, (laughs) seriously. Um, That was one of the things that I love about doing this show, that you know that everybody involved is coming and bringing their A++++ game. So it, um, I don't know, it it makes you come the same way. It makes you want to be part of the team and be the best at your position. So Mm -hmm. it means a lot. (laughs) 
What have you learned from the first two seasons of the series that you're bringing to this third season? What has the experience taught you? I don't know. I just think for me, just a reminder of just from an actor's perspective, just how important preparation is and just, you know, arriving on set prepared. And one of the things that John stresses to us each season, and it's specifically to us, is mm-hmm. leadership and how um, w- when he's not there, we're there to set the tone. And um, if we're not coming prepared, then we're not doing our job. It's setting the tone for all of our guest actors that come on. And, and, and it's very important for them to give their best performances. And a lot of that, um, I think we have some responsibility in um, creating the environment so that they they can give their best. So I would say that that would be the first thing that came to mind. Mm-hmm. There's a story talking about being our best and and setting the tone. The first season, we were in Austin, and when you walked into the production office, there was everybody's headshots up there. And it probably doesn't occur to anybody, but as an actor, you walk in, there's your headshot. You know, mine's from 50 years ago. And it's humiliating. (laughs) And so uh, Tim and I went, oh, let's do something funny. And so there were a bunch of people in line for our parts before we got it. So we got all of their headshots. You know, there's Helen Hunt and all these actors. And we put them there. We put them going. And then us at the top, who they finally land on. Thought it was hilarious. The next day we came in, it's cleaned up. It's just the headshots. We went, oh, that's weird. Oh, I know. Let's take a marker and put mustaches and sideburns and beards on everyone. So we marked up everybody's headshots the next day we came in totally clean and i went up to john to bust him kind of going that's so funny we were being funny and you fixed it what's wrong don't you have a sense of humor he said i come here to work we are all the head coaches people need to walk into this office and have respect for everyone who works here and i went oh wow wow. okay i got a haircut (laughs) i think what i I, uh john uh, i've learned to trust john Mm. and i've also learned that every season, it's not exactly a haircut that I get, but every season he he prods me or inspires me to sort of up my game. Mm-hmm. And I sort of thought, I-, I thought I was playing an A game. He goes, not yet, not yet. Gives me goosebumps. I know, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> you telling that story, just that last part, yeah, so true. Yeah. He does make you want to be better, man. Yeah, he you know, does. Talk about yeah. working with John Ridley. How does he compare to other showrunners? I mean, I'm not trying to bash other showrunners, but he's a different kind of writer. Um, uh, my experience is he's a different kind of leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's a different kind of director and has a different visual palette. But as a leader, he is so respectful of everyone he knows everyone's name on the set there's a certain formality to john and and our business is very casual so when he comes in and goes thank you very much for being here you sort of go is this school but he makes everyone want to do i mean i swear you talk to the third prop guy Mm -hmm. who goes i just want to do my best for john John, so he inspires an esprit de corps and i think he gives a sense of we're telling stories that matter, that need to be told. We're not preaching. We're just telling stories that need to be told. And you feel 
valued. Mm-hmm. And he does it all while, while being nice. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's you don't have to yell. You don't have to make someone feel less than to be a leader. Mm-hmm. And he definitely represents that. You know, um, talk about the material too that you get to work on. I mean, you're talking about some challenging issues. Yeah, um, when I've watched the first two seasons, and I, and I also watched the first uh, episode of, of season three, um, there are parts, and I'm sure you felt this, that are hard to watch. And I think he crosses the line back and forth between entertainment and art, and it never lives in the art so long that you actually don't want to continue but just like with us or or with me that he keeps kind of pushing you i think with the audience he keeps going i'm i'm going to i'm going to push you a little bit i'm going to make this a little uncomfortable and then i'm going to bring you back mm. um but what i appreciate and i i touched on before is no one's a hero and no one's a villain and he doesn't preach which you know I, I don't want to watch something and be taught a lesson. I want to watch something and be told a story. Right. Yeah. Because in especially when you get a script and you see your character and you see a speech, the first thing you think is, oh, God, <laughs> I hope this is not a speech. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, although, I mean, and I know this sounds crazy because in the first season, the she Alia had that speech, but it was supposed to be a speech. So, oh, that was think, one yeah. of my favorite parts <laughs> of that whole series. <laughs> oh. So I'll just take that out. But we have these these times you get a script and you see um, the words, and then you say the words, and you say them out loud, or you hear them out loud. The this year we didn't get to do. It was many table reads, but mm-hmm. as Felicity said, it doesn't feel preachy. You, you don't feel like, okay, in this moment is when we're giving the point of. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like that. You know, it, it really feels like um, a true voice is being represented in this moment. And I don't know. I, I think, I think that's. I think it's rare. You know, you. I think Felicity could attest to you. Get scripts that come across your desk, and you just you cross your fingers that they're gonna move you in some way. And eighty-six percent of the time, they don't. Mm-hmm. And all the time with John, it does. And those moments where you're not quite understanding it. And then you call him. It's not a long conversation for him to get you to the place of, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yes, I get it, I get it. Because sometimes as actors, we get in our own heads and we can't hear anything but that voice in our head talking. And because of that, you just can't connect for whatever reason to what's on the paper because that's all you hear is yourself. Mm. And you need to be talked off that ledge sometimes and he can talk you off that ledge in like five minutes or less where sometimes it's a 30 minute conversation or 45 minute conversation and then you get off the phone and you're like well yeah I think I get it I I, I, I hope so 
Um, what do you think the overall themes are of the season and how are they going to be relevant in this sort of changed political climate? Do you want to take that? <laughs> no, you. Okay. Yeah. Um, in whatever <laughs> accent you like, please. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, the themes of this season are forced labor, um, economic diversity, um, sexual trafficking, those ways that just by existing in the society we are unknowingly a part of. You know, you pick up a tomato at, uh, at a grocery store, I'm afraid you're probably a part of it. Um, you go get your nails done at some small salon, you might be a part of it. You know, you go to some big box store, you might be a part of forced labor. Um, so that sounds very um, hard to watch, but in a real John Ridley, Michael McDonald fashion, what they do is they come at it from a particular angle. So before you know it, you're inside the story. It's not holding up a sign saying, this happens, it's bad. Mm. You're inside the story of illegal immigrants. You're inside the story, like with Regina, of sex trafficking with young kids and how it goes down. So you see it from an organic bottom-up level, so it's not just in your face. It's a journey that you take with them. And for me, along with the first two seasons, it brings compassion and understanding because Mm -hmm. no one's right, no one's wrong. Yeah, I agree. You know, majority of people are not bad or good people. We're just people trying to live. And like Felicity says, before you know it, you're in the story. I think even more so what makes it... Why why you just are engulfed so quickly is because he drops you into the middle of mm-hmm. these lives. There's not this huge setup to explain that this person does this and this. I mean, and you get all that along the way, but you know, you you plop right into the middle of the Hesbies and how they've been living and what they've been doing, and and you get it quick. You know, um, you plop right into Kamara and her situation and you get it quickly. It's, 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 it doesn't take um, a lot of explaining or uh, background information to understand life. Mm. How do each of you relate to your characters? How do you find your way into your characters? You take that. You want me. You want me. Oh, <laughs> Um, I think it's different each character the the approach is different um Kamara I know I I know I feel like I knew more people like Terry than uh Kamara or Aaliyah so the research to get to know those women probably was a little more um Intense or extensive than with Terry, because you know that was Terry was just a phone call. <laughs> I knew a few Terrys, you know? <laughs> um, uh, and, and and not that they're once again no one's bad. You know these, these are just women that I know. You know the, the strong women, but um, with uh, Kamara, it definitely took not just. Um, seeking people 
to talk, seeking to seeking people out like her to talk to, but also do, I did a lot more people watching, mm. like people that were just that just worked at, you know, to J.C. Penney's, mm. you know, like I don't remember the last time honestly that I'd been in Macy's just because I order everything online. Um, but I would go to Macy's and just kind of pretend like I was shopping, but just to observe people, people that just were ordinary people. And that's who Kamara was to me. So I would say that that research was a little more, was, was just different than with Aliyah, I actually spent a lot of time with one specific person, with one Muslim woman, and um, you know, got to meet her husband and talk to her kids on the phone. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just, it's different for each character. Sure. And Jeanette, um, my what I try first is to figure out um, how I can endorse that character. You know, um, Barb Hanlon was hard to endorse, and there were certain parts of Leslie Graham that were, and there were certain parts of um, Jeanette. So if you can kind of endorse your character, you can mm -hmm. play Hitler, because you can't play him as a bad guy. Mm -hmm. you got to play him as someone who's trying to save the world. So I try and figure out what what their noble undertaking is. Um, and then I go from there. Uh, Jeanette was the farthest away from me. I don't know what it's like to be... Um, and a wife with no real identity outside of the marriage. You know, she can't get a car loan. She can't, uh, she doesn't have a bank account in her name. She can't get divorced for a year. She is ineffectual, very ineffectual, except for her ability to serve her husband. So I understood that intellectually, but not experientially. Um, and I had to go to two things one when she walks into a room she doesn't dispel any air she takes up no room and she's just there to make everything better mm -hmm. i just want to make everything better so that was how i started from what i've seen so far you exist in parallel worlds will we get to see your paths intersect Man, I hope so. We keep going. When are we gonna act? I up? know. I, I thought for sure season two. <laughs> oh my god, I felt like I just I knew I was like, Ooh, episode four. Ooh, <laughs> it's coming. Wait a minute. I know. I think there would have been a small mushroom cloud if those two characters had gotten together. That's it my pitch be. for season four. Right. <laughs> Dear like John it. Ridley, yeah. I'll talk to him. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to both of you. Deborah, thank thanks you. for supporting the show. Oh my god. Of course, it's Thank one of my so favorites. Much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll be back next week with another great episode. We're talking to Samantha B. and Joe Miller about Full Frontal, as well as John Lennon and Journey Smollett Bell about Underground. Thanks for listening. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.